How's it going? Welcome to Wander on the Way, a show that is an ode to hours spent in coffee shops, late night get-togethers with friends, walks outside, and long car rides. Basically, all the times and places we get a moment to slow down to be present with ourselves and those around us. My name is Josh Perry, and I'll be your companion today for a little while. Join me and my occasional guests as we take a look at all the messy little details of being human. And remember, you're not lost as long as you say you're wandering. Welcome everyone to Wander on the Way. Today is episode 8, and it's the first of three solo episodes, or really the whole kind of spring season of episodes, uh, where we're talking about a concept I'm calling putting it into action. And we're going to address today um, a little bit about some, some good questions that help us kind of get started with that idea of actually putting something we have in our mind into action, as well as uh, talk a little bit about meaning and purpose and how by acting, by putting things into action, we can actually help to create and, and make some meaning rather than necessarily believing that we, we have a purpose or something is inherently imbued with meaning. Um, Briefly, before I get into kind of the rest of the topic or the rest of the conversation for today, uh, I just had to say that in an ironic twist of fate, this episode was surprisingly difficult to actually record and get off the ground. And so um, I'm very amused by the fact that I'm writing about something with the title of What If It Was Easy and had a difficult time trying to do so. Um, In the end, we're here, I'm recording. Uh, what I had really hoped to do was to do some recording outside, kind of with, with some nature and have a nice kind of ambient background and everything. Uh, and I underestimated how challenging that was going to be, uh, especially kind of from uh, getting good quality sound as a result of it. Uh, so here I am back in my usual place, nice and quiet. And uh, we'll try again later once I learn a little bit more about uh, some audio recording practices. But otherwise, let's go ahead and get into the topic for today. So first, I'd like to start with today's episode a little bit differently than the past few. Uh, I'd like you to take a second to bring forward something that you have tucked away in the back of your mind that you want to do, but just can't quite get started on. Seriously, I'll, I'll wait a second. All right, I I won't wait that long, but feel free to pause the episode uh, if you need a little bit more time to think, and then come on back and we'll get into it a little bit more. So hopefully by now you've got that thing in your mind that you've been wanting to do, uh, but haven't really gotten around to starting yet. And advisors and mentors, uh, people in our lives that kind of help uh, get us unstuck from those kind of situations, often have an arsenal of questions at their disposal to help get that engine turning over. And we can actually begin to make progress on on those ambitions. Some of these questions are things like, uh, what if it were easy, the title of today's show? What obstacles are in your way and what do you need in order to get by them? Uh, What are you doing right now to make progress on those goals? And what would you change about your current situation to help enable this? Most of these are designed to get you thinking about what a reality would look like where you were actually doing the thing instead of just thinking about it. Uh, If we can actually imagine the reality, it becomes much easier to actually execute on these ideas that we have. So if you would, 
take a minute, rewind the episode to those questions I asked just a second ago, and pause after each one. Think, visualize, write, do something uh, as you go through each of those questions, just to kind of get some of this out and to do some of this work yourself. Then if you would, feel free to reach out to me or uh, leave a comment wherever you're listening to the episode today. And uh, let me know if you gained any new insights on this thing that you're, you're wondering about. Now, also, what if I told you that there could be some kind of a gym, not, not for training your body, but for training this kind of wisdom, uh, and that could help you ask and answer just these kinds of questions? More on that at the end of the episode. So this spring, I committed to a theme that I'm calling putting into action. And you see, I, I think that springtime is, is a great opportunity to uh, transition from that kind of more contemplative or introspective wintertime to a more highly active summertime. And this means that ideas and opportunities are popping up all over. Uh, it's the time of synthesis, of creation. Um, but it's it's not quite the time to just kind of put your head down and, and keep doing the work in in my mind. I think that's more of kind of your your summertime, right? You you start some of those habits, uh habit formation now, but you don't necessarily carry out the habits or or do that kind of daily grind until maybe the summertime, the very, very energetic, action-oriented time. And if I were to imagine this as a bit like kind of a, that metaphorical farm, then uh, you have to ensure that like you set up the the right conditions, right? You have to till the fields, you have to plant your seeds, you have to like kind of put in some initial work just to make sure that you're ready. And summertime kind of becomes attending the crop and trying to nurture what you established in, the, in that springtime so that it's ready for the nice harvest in the fall. In essence, now is the time to set up those conditions that help enable the work that you want to do. So let me tell you about one such time in my own life where this kind of care and attention to setting up the conditions really made all of the difference. The story highlights this kind of long arc from the quiet reflection and absorption um, through cultivating ideas and executing until the harvest of the, the complete kind of product at the end of it. Back in 2013, uh, I'd been hooked on board games and uh, also to some extent in, in kind of designing these live, in-person, immersive experiences uh, for, for people kind of in my, my college age. And I had kind of quietly been taking in lots and lots and lots of ideas about game mechanics and philosophies on what makes experiences fun and engaging, uh, as well as kind of plenty of feedback on some of those one-off events I just mentioned. At that point, when I had this this big, big, big urge to create, I came across like an article or a TED Talk or something. I, I can't remember exactly what the source was, but it delivered a message that I was really ready to hear in that moment. Why not just create? Uh, just like those questions at the beginning of the episode, that question was exactly what I needed to hear in the moment uh, to push me from that kind of winter, the the inward turning, the collection, the, the stillness, into the spring where it was time to create, it was time to synthesize, time to get some stuff started. I was vacuuming up pretty much anything I could find uh, a few days later on um, 
publishing companies, on self-publishing games, on game printing, on crowdfunding, on game design, like anything in this topic, I was just absorbing as much as I could. And uh, then at that point, a second message landed. And I think this is really what made, made the big difference there. Uh, it came from a book called The Kobold Guide to Board Game Design, if you're curious yourself. And it was a short essay within the book by a man named James Ernest. And he got his start making games by effectively printing up copies of, of rules that people could play with things that they already had. This made his like production very, very cheap. And he could go to places and pass out copies of this to anybody who would listen pretty much. You know, game conventions, not just like random people on the street, although I suppose perhaps. Um, and he, they relied on components, like I said, that people probably already had, especially the people he was talking to. Things like dice and coins, pencil paper, uh, simple things like that. And this allowed him to get a lot of kind of exposure for very cheap, right? He was able to get a lot of ideas out there and get feedback and, and see how people were, were doing things. And it was a very uh, cheap process. But more than that, for, for my sake, is that it was a not, not just cheap, but kind of a, a humble process. Um, you're not looking to get the best art and the best production and get it out in front of a, a crowd of millions. You're looking for uh, 20 or 30 people at a gaming convention that might be interested in playing playing game. And I really that really resonated with me and, and where I was at in this process. And I think I kind of summed up a couple of uh, big lessons from both of the sources, really. One, just get started. Um, it is easy to kind of get get going and then discovering the things that you need along the way or as you're kind of doing the work, as you're laying the foundation, you realize what you need and you can go out and get it. And two, keep the ambitions grounded and humble. Um, making something winds up oftentimes being better than just sitting on an idea until it disappears. And once those two conditions for me were in place, I got to work creating and testing and tweaking the kind of those, those summer style tasks that I was talking about a second ago. And finally, I moved into funding and printing and shipping a completed game. And that's that, that fall harvest that I talked about. And this whole process kind of played out over the course of a few months. It wasn't like the, a full year, right? I'm just sort of attributing these things to seasons. This is well before that I developed that kind of mentality around the, the three-month process. And so it was a question that was very similar to today's title uh, that helped me kind of lay out the dominoes that needed to be set up and that I had been collecting all along. And then to kind of, you know, tip it over and watch what happened, watch the show play out, uh, which was really, really satisfying. Once you start thinking like this, in this mentality of what if it was easy, you find that it often is. And in my case, it certainly was, right? The, a lot of that thinking and the gathering of information, that can go on forever. There's a concept that oftentimes we'll talk about called analysis paralysis, where it's, you can always look for more information and more information and more information and never come to making a decision. And so sometimes just getting started is enough to kind of get you unstuck and get you moving forward. And once you're going, you're going. And that humility component I mentioned also, like it helps honestly to lower your expectations sometimes. And I know you're going to get some people out there that will make a strong case for like, oh, go big or go home, that kind of thing. And, and there's different philosophies. But in, in the case of kind of 
what I'm what I'm talking about today, I really think setting that bar a bit lower is often a great way to get yourself going in the first place. And that was that that first lesson of just get started. So rather than thinking like, oh, I'm going to make the next big hit game, it, it became, I'm just going to make a game that I might want to play with my friends that they'll enjoy. And if other people want to play it too, great. Uh, that's how I'll, I'll fund a whole bunch of copies and put it out there. And one of the other kind of misleading things about lowering your expectations is in, in my case, for example, how many people had ever made a game? Right, the fact that I was making something that was only aimed at uh, a handful of people, and in the end it was maybe about 40 people that wound up with a copy of it, nobody else had ever done it at all. So, like, the bar being low is fine because you're already doing something that is pretty outside the ordinary a lot of the time just by doing something. And so, taking a couple lessons out from this story, I think it is this this putting into action that I really believe is how we will make meaning and purpose in the world and in the rest of our lives too. I'm not someone who believes that I have a purpose or that I can find my purpose, things like that. Um, and there's a lot of people out there that do believe that very strongly, but I'm not really one of them. Instead, I, I strongly believe in the sense that we make the meaning and we make the purpose, that it is kind of an intentional act most of the time. I think we're given some frameworks throughout childhood and throughout much of the rest of our lives that help us begin to understand what it means to have a purpose. So things like religion and school, family, society, these all teach us templates for what is meaningful or can be meaningful or how to make meaning out of particular certain situations that we're presented with. And these templates, though, are sort of like the, the childlike distinctions that we might have uh, to determine what is blue and what is green, right? There's, there's bins that you can fit things in. And as we get older, we start to encounter things like a teal, for example, that doesn't neatly fit into those bins. And there's plenty of other shades out there, and we kind of end up drawing a fuzzy line between them as we make comparisons of what falls into blue and what falls into green. And just like those templates on meaning that you can get from all of these other sources as you're growing up, I think we run into situations that require us to d d draw dividing lines or to determine for ourselves a little bit more of what the meaning is in them. And the the frameworks are useful, especially when you're learning this stuff, but I think it is through our own actions that we help to demonstrate what is meaningful and what our purpose is in a given situation. For example, early in life, we might ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we may respond from a limited set of answers that we've kind of been fed for our early childhood. We've been exposed to a very limited number of professions out there. Um, and we might say, a doctor, right? Because we understand at least a little bit of what a doctor is, and, and you've got some reason why you might do that. As we grow older, we might challenge that initial question and instead ask, well, who do you want to be? Uh, and I know certainly this is something at uh, at the college age that a lot of people wrestle with. They kind of are making that transition between what do you want to do and who do you want to be, right? They're, they're confronting a life as opposed to just a career, perhaps. And now your your answer changes to something like, well, I want to be someone who helps people. I want to bring some good into the world and do something good for other people. 
and suddenly the the world kind of opens up with how you can go about that right so that's already changing the framework and changing your template a little bit better you're you're making a different meaning out of the question of what it means to be a person and now while you're busy answering your own version of that question i'd like you even to go a step further and instead i'd ask you how will you help people today how will you show me that you are someone who helps people and I think that, that get, digs a little bit deeper into that framework, and you will answer me through your actions. Um, we often say that actions speak louder than words, and so I think a lot of people sort of intuitively understand this idea where you will do something that demonstrates who you are. You might speak a good game. You say that, like, oh, you really think that it's important that people should be going out and, and spending time supporting um poor people in their community or something like that. But if you never do anything to, to kind of walk the talk, then are you really, do you really strongly and truly believe that? And there may be all kinds of reasons and, and why you don't, but those are the sorts of things that you have to wrestle with to help kind of make the meaning in the situations. And I know these are ideas that I'm putting out here that I believe in, but I'm certainly not the only one who believes this. And uh, I just had the pleasure of reading a book called Man's Search for Meaning by uh, Dr. Viktor Frankl. And he has this delightful quote that I'm going to read for you today. It did not really matter what we expected from life, but rather what life expected from us. We needed to stop asking about the meaning of life and instead to think of ourselves as those who are being questioned by life, daily and hourly. Our answers must consist not in talk and meditation, but in right action and in right conduct. Life ultimately means taking the responsibility to find the right answer to its problems and to fulfill the tasks which it constantly sets for each individual. And so Viktor Frankl has this, this worldview where he says life is asking us the question. Life is asking what is the meaning, and we answer it by doing right action, like finding the answer uh, within ourselves and within our, our actions. And just to, for some context, if you've never kind of encountered Viktor Frankl before, he was a psychologist who pioneered and championed a form of therapy called logotherapy. His system and the outlook which he described in the quote I just read off um, were based on his own experiences. So he's not just kind of talking in a vacuum here either. Uh, and he was a survivor of multiple concentration camps during World War II. So he had a profoundly unique view into human psychology being pushed to the extremes. Uh, he witnessed firsthand the power of this thing he called right action and what he also calls the will to meaning as opposed to a will to power, for example, that you might be more familiar with. Um, and it's that will to meaning that seemed to keep people always moving forward no matter what they had to endure in those camps. And for him, he said obviously like a tremendous number of people were unable to kind of keep moving forward, right, for one reason or another. But what he noticed was that the, this will to meaning was the, tended to be the thing that kept people going. And once somebody had lost it, they would you know, very quickly deteriorate. Their health would, would go down very quickly. Um, the other thing for him was that evidence that anybody 
was able to maintain this under such an extreme set of conditions was proof to him that anybody could. And so that's a bit of it too. He he was fully recognizing that like really difficult situations can, you know, erode that will to meaning in a hurry and and we can have a hard time with it. But he wasn't convinced that that would happen for everybody. And in in fact his experiences kind of demonstrated to him that uh, this was kind of a core principle of who we were and, and how we made meaning and how that meaning uh, sustained us in intense situations. And I really believe in this right action, as he calls it. But sometimes I wrestle with the concept of, say, motivation and willpower, as I'm sure you do as well. And Viktor Frankl wrestled with it himself, having watched these people kind of deteriorate suddenly once they've lost that will to meaning. Um, fortunately, if for us, like we're not in such extreme situations, and there is a lot of support and wisdom around us uh, that can help us when we find ourselves struggling to respond to life with right action, uh, or even understanding what that right action should be, right? That's another hard part of it, is trying to figure out how ought I to act in a particular situation. In my story from before, just to show you some of the supports that are in place, I had a lot of inspiration which arrived to me at the right moment through um, other sources who perhaps had been inspired in much the same way in their own lives. Um, good questions and mentorship from others who have gone before me, um, you know, like the people in the book, right? These these folks who were uh, big uh, icons in the gaming and game design industry that had a lot of wisdom to share from their experience. Um, and I had also had some established tools and techniques ahead of time that helped me to actually do the work in kind of uh, a nice, even and sequential manner. So I was always progressing. So there, like, there was a lot of support and a lot of resources that I had at my back when I started this. And it's important to recognize that too. We fast forward today. Um, my practices have changed a bit. So I'm a big believer in journaling. I, I tend to journal most days, right? I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to say anything like that. But I journal a lot, and I have a framework that I use that was developed by somebody else. Um, so it's it's not something that I had to create on the spot, although that's the kind of thing that I often like to play with and see if I can take a system and tweak it for my own purposes. Um, my whole approach now revolves around the three-month kind of planning at a time, um, or preparing anyway. And I have tied it personally to the seasons. I like the the symbolism behind having it be seasonal. So I tend to start my planning on the equinox and the solstice and like that. So a nice kind of timeline throughout the year. In my own right action these days, uh, it often involves setting aside time, which is dedicated to lining up those dominoes, setting up the conditions, getting it all ready, taking action on tasks and projects that I've laid out for myself, uh, as well as blocking out distractions from, and other calls for my attention. Because, let's face it, we've got all kinds of distractions and all kinds of people who are working to, to capture our attention for their own purposes. Similarly, I believe very strongly in the power of community and in actively seeking out the support necessary for success, even if it's just to kind of bounce some ideas off of a friend. Now, earlier in the show, I suggested that perhaps there could exist a kind of gym that was built for helping us train exactly this kind of wisdom. Uh, the place that you might go to work out 
on your own right action, like you'd work your muscles at an ordinary gym. And this is exactly what I'm offering, a wisdom gym. I host two weekly uh, virtual spaces with unique purposes. The first one is an hour of quiet time on Sunday night. It's one of the, the last things that you would do at the tail end of your week going into Monday to start a new week. The space is intended for participants to uh, to gather and through things like journaling, meditation, reading, or some other relatively quiet activity uh, to find a little bit of stillness and reflection in an otherwise busy life. It's just an hour of time, but it's a great moment to kind of reset yourself for the week ahead. The second is a deep work session. And if you haven't heard of deep work before, I, I recommend kind of trying to do some research around a, a guy named Cal Newport because he was he wrote a book with that as the title. And in this deep work session, uh, I frequently use this to get two hours of undistracted, focused work that are, are absent or devoid of any of the usual distractions, right? I'm not looking at social media. I'm not on YouTube or Netflix. Uh, I will turn my phone off. And there's a lot of ways that you sort of ritualistically shut out some of those distractions. And when you go through a process like that, you find out that you actually can be tremendously productive, even just carving out a couple of hours of your time and treating it as sacred. When you go to a gym, like a real physical gym, you expect to work, but you, more importantly, uh, you probably expect there to be kind of tools and equipment uh, that you have access to, which can help you work a little bit better and more efficiently. Uh, and the same is true of these sessions. There is a lot of satisfaction that comes from it because you are getting more work done. Often you're working in community with other people and you get to celebrate the, the accomplishments that they've had as well. Um, and even just taking a couple of extra steps that you hadn't taken on those goals already, it feels great when you get done with it. There's always a challenge, right? It takes time and you have to be able to invest it. You have to commit to it. Um, but the, the sense of satisfaction and that work that you're doing, uh, kind of making progress in a sense on your own personal wisdom is, is really an incredible feeling at the end of each week. If you're curious to know more about this, uh, you can head to my website, which is www.wanderontheway.org. So it's the name of the, the podcast.org. Uh, and you can reach out. I've got my email there as well, and I'll be happy to give you more information. And finally today, uh, I wanted to end the episode the same way I have with my other solo episodes uh, so far, and that's with a short reading. As I was writing and preparing for this episode, uh, I kept coming back to chapter 63 of the Tao Te Ching, because I think there are some, some key lines, some, some good takeaway quotes from this chapter that I think really capture exactly this idea of right action, as well as getting started and starting small and humble. I'm not going to spend any time explaining the chapter, uh, just like with the other readings I've done. I just want to read the text and let it hang in the air for you. Uh, so maybe you can find your own re reflection, your own thoughts on the material that is in the chapter. Act, but through non-action. Be active, but have no activities. Taste, but have no tastes. No matter how great or small, many or few, repay resentment with virtue. 
Plan for difficult while it is easy. Work at what is great while it is small. Difficult undertakings in the world all start with what is easy. The great undertakings in the world all begin with what is small. This is why sages never work at great things and are able to achieve greatness. Those who easily enter into promises always prove unworthy of trust. Those who often think that things are easy regularly encounter difficulties. And so sages consider things difficult, and in the end are without difficulties. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode, and I hope you have a great couple of weeks. And thank you for listening to the podcast and carrying the conversation out into the world. Music for this podcast is generously provided by Alexander Nakarada at www.serpentsoundstudios.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Details in the description. If you'd like to come join the community, be a guest on the show someday yourself, you wish to support the podcast or just get in touch, find me online at wonderontheway.org. And until next time, go have a good conversation.